I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of our Memory Lane podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We have a fascinating guest today, former Penguins player Matt Murley. Played professional hockey for two decades. Now he is an analyst. He's also into on the sports betting anal- analyst side. A lot of stuff to get to with Matt playing all over the world. Just really kind of a fascinating story. How you doing today, Matt? Thanks for joining me, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well. I'm over in Sweden right now, so it's a little later than you, but um, things are great. Now, you're from New York, right? You're 42 years old, yeah. from New York, mm-hmm. and you're living in Sweden. You have played... Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I was just going to go through your career. You've played for the Penguins okay. a couple years, Wilkes-Barre, Syracuse, yeah. Russia, Asia, San Antonio, Phoenix, a lo- hell of a lot of towns I can't pronounce... Uh, I mean, it's it, when I look at your career, man. It, it's just fascinating of all the different places. Sometimes players have to go to to keep playing. Yeah, I was definitely a suitcase in my career, and the reason I'm in Sweden, I played three years here. I met my wife while I was playing here, so she ended up traveling around with me the last few years of my career, and um, now we're we're kind of settled halfway between half the time here and half the time in New York. That's really cool. I, I, I have covered the Altoona Curve uh, baseball affiliate with the Pirates for 20-plus for years, and a lot of times minor leaguers will come through a town and they'll end up meeting a girl, and it's the same kind of story. They'll end up getting married, and either they stay here or they go somewhere else. When, when you're traveling the world playing, um, how, how often does that kind of thing happen? That Eventually you end up meeting somewhere, and it may not meet someone, and it may not necessarily be the exact same place you, you thought you would meet someone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not the easiest life, um, especially when you're traveling with a, a baby and now our daughter's two and a half years old and we, we've traveled, I think, eight or nine times with her back and forth. So it makes things a lot more difficult when you're trying to get both grandmothers to see her. But uh, that's the way the world goes. And uh, I never, never imagined this would happen, but it's been great. Matt, you played for Scranton Wilkesbury. You played for the Penguins in 03, 04, and then also in 05, 06. I want to ask you first and foremost about your NHL career. What's your favorite memory of your time with the Pens? Um, yeah, with the Pens, uh, when I first think of it, I obviously I got to say my first NHL goal 
even though it was very unspectacular. I was trying to pass the puck to a guy, and it hit the defenseman's skate and went in. But it, it was at the Igloo, so that's a really cool memory to have. But um, after all these years, the thing I look back is I, I got to play with Mario and I got to play with Sydney, two of two two legends of the game, two of the top five players all time. So that's probably my favorite thing. When you tell people on. when you tell people the story of the first goal, do you sometimes want to say, "I oh, man, I had this massive slap shot <laughs> from thirty feet away. It was absolutely gorgeous. The goalie had no chance." No, nah, because most people now with the internet know I only had two goals, so they know <laughs> that I was kind of a plug. So I, 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 I don't want to get called out on it, and uh, I don't even, I don't even have a tape of it. I've been trying to find a video of it to, to get online and stuff of the goal. It's really bad. It was, a, I think, a backhand pass and through the crease, hit a skate, and went in. So, so not here- something I like to talk about. I, lo- I like to talk about being Crosby's roommate more. And what's that's one thing I, I was going to ask you about? What as a young guy. What were those experiences like? You can you can share the story about what was it like to be roommates with a young Sidney Crosby? Yeah, um, at the time, I was kind of an older player. I was kind of, you know, we had Mario and his older guys, but I was in the middle. I was, you know, I was an older guy. I came from college before I was a rookie, you know, so I was kind of the middle guy between the 18-year-old Crosby and those other young studs and then the old guys. So um, I kind of took it as, a great opportunity for me to kind of hang around Sydney and, and try to ride his coattails for a while. So, you know, I hung out with him and, you know, I just show him how to, you know, like on the road in the room, I got the remote. I'm the older guy. I don't care who you are. You know, I get it. I'm the older guy, <laughs> you know, showed him the, showed him the good restaurants on the road. And I heard a story the other day, he was talking about being down in Philly and he still goes to the same restaurant that he did as a rookie with me that I showed him because I think he scored two goals that game. So he hasn't changed in 15 years or whatever it's been. Did he fight you for the remote or, or, or was he more of the, okay, I'll, I'll go and let you have it since you're the old man here. No, he, yeah, he let me have it. He was very respectful and you know, he was, he was only 18. He was, he was naive to a lot of, a lot of things still. And, um, it was great to kind of show him what pro hockey was all about, the good and the bad, and you know, a couple of things I probably shouldn't have taught him. I did, but I think uh, it all helped him out. He's done pretty well for himself. Hey, I'm not letting you off. The- What's something you should have, should not have taught him, but uh, w- but was something you probably couldn't have avoided at that time in your life? Um, well, one thing was, well, it's actually, yeah, we learned together actually when we we emptied the mini bar one time in our room when we had the day off the next day. And we were in such a hurry the next morning to leave, we forgot to pay the bill. So we leave, and that bill, when you don't, when you don't go and pay for your your room bill separately, it gets sent to the general manager. Oh, yes. Back in those days, my our room was under my name. So all of a sudden, it wasn't Merle and Crosby come see the GM. It was Merle come see the GM because it was under my name. So I had to go in and explain how we had a hundred eighty six dollar minibar bill that night <laughs> so we both learned a valuable lesson make sure you pay your mini bar tab before you check out well knowing the size of the drinks that mini bar what so 186 bucks would you have about 20 ounces of alcohol give or take total <laughs> yeah well i mean Sid was 18 so he didn't have any of it oh okay the, Snicker, the snickers bars and the pringles and stuff i was me and a couple other guys were taking down the other stuff that's great that's so what one more thing on Sid at that age i mean what Hey, look, everybody knew what he could be. What, what was he at that point then, Matt, as an 18-year-old kid? What was he as a hockey player? What was he like off the ice? 
Yeah, he it was I, I didn't believe it either. Like, oh who this guy this he's gonna be this and then you see him, he's a smaller guy, like what? This guy's gonna be the next one? Like, what do you mean? And then I saw him the first practice, you saw him on the ice and it was it was just something different. The way he skated, he was splitting defensemen, which, you know, I hadn't seen that happen since Pee Wee. And he's a big reason the game has changed with all the speed and they need these smaller defensemen because he was just flying around everybody. And the biggest memory I have of him was like his leadership. And I've talked about it with my teammates or kids when I've coached is his leadership at 18. It was, it was incredible as a 26 year old. He somehow had me where I was like almost answering to him on the ice. Like I, I wanted to be my best player around him. He just like demanded, not demanded, he just like he brought greatness. Like he talked about winning all the time. He knew he was going to win Stanley cups and you almost you didn't want to disappoint him. You wanted to be your best every day for him and get better every day for him. And he's an 18-year-old kid. So that was really an amazing leadership skill. For all the hype that he got at that point in his career, he obviously has become one of the top five players of all time. Would you have expected that? Even in, with all of the expectations for 18-year-old Sidney Crosby, has he met or, has he met or surpassed them and, you know, from what you would have thought back then? Yeah, I I think the way I taught, like when I first saw him, I I didn't think like the first just off the ice. I was like, no, there's nothing's gonna go. <laughs> we're we're still gonna be last in the league. But uh, when I saw him first take the ice in those first games and the first regular season games, and he was just, he was dominating. I, I I assumed that this was gonna happen, and it has, and it's it's exactly what I would have expected from him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. make your NHL debut with the Pens in 0304 and so, so you're you're up there with Mario what was that like so what what uh, can what was the whole experience you get there you know obviously he had been sensational for a long long time and he was closer to the end of the career so what was that experience like yeah that was uh it was wild i got a little taste of it my rookie year you know i was there for training camp with him and i actually got a funny story about that it was in my first practice and you never knew what group Mario was going to be in. There's group A, B, and C. And as owner of the team, he can, you know, go when he wants. You know, whenever the tea time, whatever works for his tea time, he would come out. So, of course, he comes out for our practice, my very first practice as a pro. And I'm like, holy cow, it's Mario Lemieux. Like, this is crazy. Um, and I'm not, like, really thinking. I just get in the line for the drill. And all of a sudden, it's my turn to go. And who's skating at me? 66. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, don't screw this up. So I like focused so hard and I, I ripped the pass and I put it right off his skate. Like just, just brutal. And uh, so that was like my intro to him. And so I got to meet him a little bit then. So the next year when I made the team, you know, through all the exhibition games, I'm there and, and I got pretty comfortable with him. And, 
um, you know, it was just an amazing, amazing thing to be able to share the ice with him. When you're out there and you know, you're trying to make it in your career and you've got this legend out there, intimidating, uh, fascinating, you're watching everything. What, what, what are you doing to, to kind of soak in being on the ice with him? Yeah, it was all of it. Um, but at the time, I really like I, I made that team as a third, fourth line player, as a kind of a penalty kill specialist, stuff like that. So, you know, he had the power play under control. So I, at that time, I wasn't really watching him to learn like the power play or, you know, I was kind of learning just how to be a pro from him, um, leadership. And and I was, you know, still kind of like starstruck when he would go and do stuff You're like, oh, my God, that was that was crazy. Now, all these years later, uh, have you been able to stay in contact in, in, at all with, with either Sid or or Mario, especially maybe Sid, since you had a little bit more personal experience with him? Yeah, I'm still in contact with Sid. And, um, you know, a few years after I left, we end up going to, you know, some weddings and, like, hanging out there and um, still exchanging text messages here and there. And um, we're, we're actually heading to Spitting Chicklets. We're heading to Pittsburgh for the opening couple games. So we're hoping to, I'm hoping to run into him, maybe grab some dinner, you know, hopefully not as many drinks as we had out of the mini bar, but maybe grab a beer with him and, and catch up. All right. Uh, Mario, I have not seen in a long time. Okay. Um, again, hoping, hoping to run into him and, uh, and see him as well. We'll be going to one of the games and hopefully we'll get to see him and catch up as well. We're going to get into the spitting chicklets uh, thing here in, in a bit. Cause that's a fascinating part of what you're doing now. You play a couple years for the Penguins. Your last year was uh, during the 05-06 season. And look, I'm not trying to be – a lot of Penguins fans may have forgotten about you, okay? It's probably, you know – I mean, who who are you talking – well, you ended up playing professional hockey for about 15 years more. And that's why I think your story is interesting and why I wanted to kind of go down memory lane with you because when you're out of the NHL and you're kind of out of the, the public eye, you did get back with Phoenix in 07, 08, but then you're kind of traveling around, have stick, will travel kind of thing. Just how 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 is that experience? You're still probably trying to get back to the NHL, you're, but you're you know traveling around the world, getting any opportunity that you can. What is it like going through that as a, as a hockey player? Um, well, first part, the Penguins fans should thank me because I was so bad that we were able to draft Crosby and Malkin. So, you know, they, <laughs> they, should, they, should, they should remember me for that. But, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't there long enough to be a, a big memory for them. But, uh, you know, I, I was playing in the AHL, and like you said, I got a couple games called up. I kept being the leading scorer for my AHL team, and then I wasn't getting called up or I would get called up and play six or seven minutes. And – um, at the time, my body was really hurting all the time, and I thought I only had a few more years left to play. So I, I wanted to make some money for my future, and I, I took a deal over in Russia. And, you know, when I went over there, I, I, was, I knew I was done with the North America. And, and I tell players that all the time when they're younger, if they're thinking about coming over. You have to be done. It, it's very rare for a player to go over to Europe and make his way back. Yeah, it has happened, but it's very rare. So when I left, I knew my time was done in the NHL. My goal was to go play two or three years in Russia and, you know, just see how long the body would hold up. You do that in 08, and, I mean, how, you end up playing 10 more years. We're, you know, looking yeah, back I, on it, how surprising was that? 
and, yeah, and it's it's wild. And I give a lot of it to like the one year in Russia because I went over. I went over after I went to NHL training camp with Carolina. Then I went over to Russia, and I only was playing thirty games or so, and um, wasn't great. Uh, the next year I went to Switzerland, and again I only played like thirty games. Where in these other seasons in Wilkesbury, I'm playing a hundred, hundred and twenty games if you're counting the exhibition and the playoffs. So it was just two really easy seasons on my body, and um, I, I, I had I had so many less injuries playing on the bigger ice and in the more recovery time. You'd only play on the weekends and stuff, and it just really extended my career and um, you know just gave me a gave me a, a like a, a fountain of youth, I guess, and just kept going and. Every year, everybody, like, well, you're going to play again? I'm like, well, I feel great. They're going to give me all this money. I'm, I'm going to go for it. How different is the money? I, I, I've covered, like I said, I've covered the minor leagues for a long time, and I've known guys make ten or fifteen thousand dollars in the minor leagues, which is in the news right now because the minor leagues in baseball they're unionizing. Then they'll go to Japan, and I've known dudes that have made millions over there. So, uh, what's yeah, it? What's exactly, the money? Yeah. What's the money like in when you're trying to bounce around? You know, Scranton, Wilkesboro. Then you go to Russia, you go to Sweden, you yeah. go to Germany. What, I mean, what's what's the money difference there? Yeah, so that's what I mean. You're in the minors in the AHL. See, back in that day, they weren't smart enough either. These teams were they were lowballing you in the minors. They're good minor leagues players. They're giving you eighty to one hundred thousand dollars U.S. taxed. You know, and then they're expecting like you to stick around and then call you up for some games. Where now in the AHL, they're actually giving their call-up guys like three hundred thousand in the minors, mm-hmm. which is a lot smarter because you want those guys, you want good players down there to call up. You want good players around your younger players. So salaries were brutal in the AHL for us back then, and you get a hundred thousand there, and then there's a team from Russia offering you five hundred thousand goodness free, and you're going to play a lot less games, and you just go go see an experience. So went for that, and you know, Russia's great money. There, you know, got not like, not myself, but there was other guys making one, two, three million dollars tax free. So, you know, they're they're making way more than the NHL, and um, that was great. Switzerland, you'll you'll see some like four hundred thousand. When you get to Sweden and um, the other countries, then you're dropping down to you know two hundred to a hundred. But it's all tax free. You're getting in a car. You're getting an apartment. You know, you're, they take you're care of that. Your meals. They yeah, take they care take of care the... all that. Okay. So, yeah, you... so it's, it's great. Like you, you, they take care of all your flights. They'll give all your family flights. Uh, the one year I had my contract, I could fly over for my buddies at any time during the year to come hmm. over. So you can get some good stuff. It, it was really fun, and uh, I got to live an NHL lifestyle by you know, and still playing in Europe. Those are pretty sweet deals, man. I really had no idea it was to that degree. That's a that I mean, were you able to stockpile then and save and and prepare for the rest of your life with your with your European money? Um yeah, I've I invested a lot, but um, you know, I like to have a good time and I obviously uh it's part of that has led to my newest job, you know, is uh the sports betting and going to Vegas on trip, you're going to spend a little money. Yeah, that's the way it goes. All right, so, uh, <laughs> again, you end up playing for, for 10 years or so. What is what is life like on a day-to-day basis in Russia? I mean, everybody everybody knows now there's it's war-torn over there with, with Ukraine and, and Russia. It's, it's evil to say Russia right now. You lived in Russia. Yeah. What was it like? Yeah. What's, what's it like on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, back then, um, I went over there with Nolan Pratt. He had played in the NHL a long time. He's co- current coach. He's assistant coach for the Avalanche now. So we flew over together, and we kind of were going in the middle of the season. So we kind of just, like, paired up. 
we were we were like we're just going to be roommates we're going to do everything together and you know we kind of just palled around we'd wake up it was really strange our practice wouldn't be to 5 p.m so we kind of had to kill a bunch of time whoa the day, what the hell lot, do you do all day <laughs> yeah it was a lot different than north america where you get the practice then you're done and then you're heading to the bar for beers or the movie theater but uh we would walk around just kind of get lunch you'd nap and head over to the rink early tape your sticks but we'd practice that was pretty normal. Go out to dinner after the the strange part there in Russia was a thing called the baza. So it's it's each team has it. It baza means like base, like an army base. It's basically a dorm. So the night before games, you would practice, and then right after practice, you'd get on the bus and you'd go to the dorm. You have your pregame meal. Everyone sleeps over in the same same building. You wake up in the morning. You get back on the bus. Bus over to the rink for morning skate. Bus back to the dorm, have a meal, take your pregame nap, bus back to the game, play the game, and then you could go home to your apartment. Oh, man. Absolutely ridiculous. It, it just, I end up going from my, having my own bedroom with like a king size bed to living in this dorm with Pratter on a, on a single bed and having to share a room. It, it was just, it was a Russian tradition. They, a lot of the teams still do it to today. It, it was just nuts. The Baza. It's awful. You wound up playing in Japan as well uh, in the Asian League. Um, was that was that a fun experience? That was an amazing experience. Uh, Japan was unreal. I was after my year in Germany. I was probably going to retire. I was, you know, I was not having a lot of fun there at the end. And um, my buddy called me. He's like, "Oh, I just signed in Japan." I'm like, "Jesus, that's crazy." He's like, Why don't you come with me? I'm like, "No, no, man, no, I'm done." Like, I'm done. I had I had a good run. I'm, I've had enough of this. He's like, no, you got to come with me, Ryan Caldwell. He's like, no, you got to come with me. You got to come with me. He's like, I have this guy call you. This guy calls me. Next thing you know, he tells me how much money I'll get. I'll go live with my friend. I'm like, yeah. I, I asked the wife. She's like, yeah, let's go for it. Let's go have some fun. And went over there, and, and the Japanese culture and the people were the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was so much fun. The hockey was fun. It was relaxed. We traveled great. You got your own room on the road. You had these meals. The food was unbelievable. And um, and, that, and that's why I found my way back in that league with uh, a team in South Korea the next two years. Man, uh, th- these are great. I, we probably could go on for a long time about this because I, I love hearing these kinds of stories. But I do want to ask you a hockey question. What's your favorite on-ice memory of all of those years in Europe and Asia? Europe and Asia, all of them. Um, wow, that's a good one. Uh, it has to be where I am now is in, in Sweden, and in Sunsball Sweden is our team, Timra IK. We're in the top league now in Sweden. Uh, the one year I played, we were horrible. We were the worst team, I think, in the league history, and they do a relegation system here, so you can get knocked down a league. And if that happens, then the money just drops for everybody. Say the front office goes from 30 people to 15. The, the salaries are going to go from average 150 to 75 for all the guys. Like, it's just going to be brutal, you know? And we were, everybody had us picked to go out. We had this 10 game series. We ended up winning it and staying up. And I had a ton of points and goals. And it was just amazing. It was like winning a cup. It That's like winning, winning a championship. A when you're, when you're saving, yeah, yeah. it's almost like saving the damn franchise, right? Yeah, exactly. It was exactly like that. Like it was more important to win that than to win the championship for our team. And, yeah. You know, we celebrate. We celebrated for a week like we won a championship, and you know, I never, I never won a championship. So that was the closest I came to, to celebrating like one. That was a really cool memory in Timra. That is great.
about what you're doing now uh, with the sports betting. Spit, spit and Chicklets, you can tell us a little bit about, a bit about that. But first and foremost, just how does a former athlete get involved now, then on, on the sports betting side of things once you're finished playing? You know, it actually comes back to Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre. Um, Ryan Whitney, I lived with him actually at Union Station there, the old train station in Pittsburgh. We lived right downtown. And uh, we were we were roommates for three or four years between Wilkes-Barre and Pittsburgh. And afterwards, we continued to be great friends. So he starts this amazing podcast, Spitting Chicklets. And it's going on for years, blah, blah, blah. I'm a huge fan of the show, listening all the time. And, and it's really cool. So... Things go on, and it's, they get bought by Barstool. Then Barstool gets bought by Penn National Gaming. So they need to start doing a little more gambling content. You know, they got to start getting some sports betting. Uh, I introduced Ryan Whitney to, like, casino gambling and sports gambling. I was always a gambler. I was going to Saratoga Horse Track since I was a kid, and I always was in the, in the gambling on football and basketball, and, you know, I knew all that and stuff, so – I don't know exactly what happened, but at one point, Chicklets needed, uh, they needed to do some more gambling stuff, start talking about NHL lines and picks and stuff. And, you know, Biz didn't know anything about it. Witt knew a little bit about it. And, but Witt goes, I got a guy. I know a guy that's great at this stuff. So he reached out to me. I was coaching a, a youth hockey team in Rochester. He's like, would you want to like start writing some blogs and like making NHL picks and stuff? I said, yeah, I, I'd love to help you guys out. So I, I just did it as like an intern, basically, just for fun, just writing blogs every few days and making some picks, and it kind of took off. Um, the biggest thing that probably happened to me, I started tweeting about European hockey, which I had a little bit of an edge on because I've played in all the leagues. I knew the travel. I knew the home ranks. I knew a lot of the players still. So I, I went on a, like a, a really good run with that and with the help. So then Spit and Chicklet started talking about me on there and um, it kind of all just went exploded, and um, I kind of just creep, kept creeping up and up, doing more and more, and you know, going on the trips with the guys, and and you know, now I'm jumping on the podcast every few times, and it's just been an amazing job, and that's how it all started. What all? What all do you do then with them now? Like, are are you handicapping games? Are you giving picks? What uh, what is you know the 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 duties that you end up having to do from for spin chicklets? Yeah, so like a daily thing would be like I, you know, I the Twitter is like I'm always promoting um, their videos and our our podcast and just you know marketing all of that and then I'm marketing the Barstool Sportsbook. So uh, each around each day, the Chicklets will have like a special bet on some of the NHL games. So for instance, uh, like Pittsburgh, the one game when was Sid looking for goal 500 this year? Was it? Mm-hmm. I think he got. So I, I made the bet. I, I said I, I go. So I, we we contact the sports book. I said I want to make a, the chiclet special tonight. I want it to be Crosby to score and the Penguins to win. So they put the odds together and say it's normally plus two hundred. Okay. For for the chiclets boost, we call it or chiclet special. They'll raise those odds for us. They'll make it two thirty, say. Mm-hmm. So if you bet on on Barstool, yeah, you could do that bet on some of the other sports books, but you only get plus two hundred. You do it on Barstool under the Chicklets, you're going to get plus 230, which is, you know, a big advantage. So, boom, that of course, that hit that night for us. Um, but that's what I'll do, like, each day is I'll, I'll try to make a, a good prop bet like that, including the, the bigger games or the premier games, the TV games. And that's one, one of my big things. And 
just just making uh, content, writing blogs. Like I, I've wrote a lot of blogs about my time in Europe and Asia and, you know, just stuff like that. And, you know, go on the pod and analyze the games. Kind of just whatever they need me to do, I do it. I, uh, Biz likes to call me Swiss Army Knights. Now, there, there are former athletes all over sports media in all kinds of realms, you know, play-by-play, commentary, analysts, all of these things. You, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong if you know more, but the, there, there don't seem to be a whole lot of sports athlete, former athletes who are ha- picking games and, and doing the sports betting side of it. Is that true? And yeah. do you? Yeah, I think that's true. Do you? Does it? Is it? Is it odd? One, is it odd to you that more are not involved? Because you would think that they, with their expertise, they could get them. Or do you think that is it still maybe a, a little taboo for these athletes who were? told their entire athletic career, hey, we'd better not catch you gambling on anything. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, you know, gambling is still kind of the boogeyman in the closet. Uh, People are still a little afraid of it in the last year or so. Obviously, it's become a lot better. But I think some guys, and I mean, I had to think about it too. If, you know, if I ever wanted to get in coaching again or, you know, at any level, like college or pro, like could I have this gambling background or would, you know, would that just ruin any chance for me for a job? So I think a lot of guys are hesitant in that if they still want to be in the game. Another thing is, like, guys weren't into this. Guys, I, I, on my team, I was the guy that had to run the NFL pool every week it's, and, you know, the NCAA basketball pool every year. Um, guys, because you said, like you said, guys, when you're growing up, you're not allowed to gamble, you're not allowed to do that. And, you know, a lot of guys just aren't into it. And, um, I mean, nowadays the guys are making so much money in the NHL, they don't need to do anything else. Yeah, that's a good – yeah, in, in professional <laughs> sports, that is true. I, I yeah, am curious about – go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, that's why, like, you don't – you're not going to see, like, young coaches anymore because all the NHLers over the last 10 years have all – they've all made $30, $50 million. They don't need to go coach anymore. It's the older generation that they, they didn't make any money, so they got to they, – they still want to make the million dollars a year all these other guys are making a million just on their investments, you know? So there, there's a lot less younger players around doing stuff outside of, you know, hockey and so forth. Well, you're a good player. You played professionally for 20 years. You know this other side of it as well. And I'm just curious, do, when, when, when guys are playing, not that they're putting money on games. I, I'm not asking it out anybody like that. That could, that could be really bad. But do guys notice the lines? Do guys notice, hey, I'm an underdog. We're underdogs here. We're this much, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that something that, in your experience from hockey and or other sports, if, if you're aware of, do guys talk about internally within, within themselves in the locker room or whatever? So in North America, definitely not especially back when I played, lines weren't even really known. Nobody even knew how to bet on hockey really back then. It, it, it would, you'd have to get on the newspaper, and the lines were kind of weird how they worked in hockey back mm-hmm. then. And, and we were all so scared of getting caught, so we 100% didn't do it. That totally was the opposite by the time I got to Switzerland. When I got to Switzerland where it's all legal and everything's fine, there was guys on my team going out in the intermission. They wouldn't sit in the locker room. They would sit on the bench and they, because they would want to watch the out of town scoreboards, because they were betting on the other teams in the league. And, so it was all allowed to bet on teams in the league. All, all in the league, even you just couldn't bet on your own team. Is like the one rule. But Holy yeah, smokes! It was, w- once I got to Europe, it was all known about, and it was talked about. When I was in Sweden, I used to tell I had a I have a good buddy here in Sweden, and he would text me be like, "Are you guys gonna win tonight?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, like we're gonna win tonight. Like we have to win tonight. We're playing a, a team just as bad as us." We're ready. 
and we would lose every single time I told him. <laughs> and then, other, and then uh, other times I would tell him, oh, we're playing first place. We're missing three guys. Like, we, we stink. We're going to lose. We'd somehow upset. So, like, yeah, you can have inside information, but it's still hockey, and anything can happen. It, and it, um, but, yeah, to get back to your answer, NHL, there was, I never talked about it. I never even thought about it hockey gambling you know we would maybe do a fantasy hockey between the team like the points and stuff and throw 20 bucks on it but never wagering individual games or over-unders but in europe it was totally talked about and alive well i'm gonna ask you something way outside the box here i'm guessing you've thought about this before but it has nothing to do with hockey i'm gonna ask you about pete rose because we're we're, all of the stuff we're talking about Myself, most everybody that I've ever encountered says that Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. He had 4,256 hits, but then the gambling thing comes up and blah, blah, blah. You think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame? Well, yeah, and I mean, that was that story is why we all were so scared and we never looked at it or even thought about it or talked about it. It was because of Pete Rose. That was so well documented that you couldn't do that and stuff. And I mean, it, I have no problem with him if he didn't bet on his games, but was he betting on his team? He was, was he, he, he said win? that he never bet on, here's the thing that's interesting. I, I, I'm yeah. very curious to hear, pick, pick your brain on this. So what Pete Rose said he did, he never bet on his team to lose. Okay. Yeah. So, but you're the manager. You can control who's pitching today and tomorrow mm-hmm. and the next game and the yeah. next game and all that. You can control your relievers. You, you can, you can man, find a way when you're the manager of a team to 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 I don't want to say fix a game but control some outcomes. Can you, in yeah, hockey or in, maybe even the next game. Cor- correct. That's game, a, that's so exactly kind of right. Screwing over that game. Correct. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm going to use my major reliever here, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, maybe I won't need to use him. Can, is that can that work in hockey? I mean, is that even possible to manipulate anything like that if if there's bets on on a hockey game? Yeah, you could definitely you can depend on your starting goalie or uh, how quickly you pull off that first power play. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's why I used to get pulled off the power play in Sweden sometimes. Maybe my coach was betting against it. I could, I could never understand it. Our power play unit was scoring all the goals, and he would pull us off first after 30 seconds. Uh, yeah, you could definitely manipulate it if you were coaching. Um, as far as Pete Rose, the Hall of Fame, I mean, I, I really don't even – I don't even – think it's a big deal but at the time it was the rule so he probably should stay suspended i don't see like coming back and unsuspending him now seems kind of it's over with it's done who cares i don't know man these are these are great stories i I want to give you an opportunity to let folks know um how they can read what you do see your picks follow follow spit and chicklets those kinds of things yeah, like follow the Spit and Chicklets on Instagram and Twitter, and I have my own Twitter, Matt Murley nineteen, where I have all my picks out there. I'm obviously older guy. I'm just getting into the Instagram, but I got that firing up. It's Merles underscore EBR, and like my big thing when I started was I, I just I was everybody rides. There was an old hockey coach of mine, Jay Pagney, who used to always say that like we're, everybody rides, meaning like we're all in it together. Like when we were training, if if one guy was going for a two-mile run, we're all going. Everybody rides. Like, if we're all going out that night, then everybody's getting up in the morning and skating. It's everybody rides. So I was putting that as my as like my thing every time on Twitter. But at one day I got really lazy and I just wrote like EBR, not even thinking. I didn't want to put ER, like everybody rides, two words, ER, like emergency room. Like that's just bad karma, especially with gambling. You know, you want good karma all the time. And I just said, oh, it's 
screw it. I'm going to do EBR. And I was just really lazy that day. But wasn't that the day Whitney like saw it and followed my picks and he brought it up on the podcast and it's stuck ever since. So when you see EBR, that's me, but and chicklets i'm on there on their videos and on the podcast a lot and these guys take great care of me they give me a great gig and we're coming to pittsburgh for the whole week uh, opening week we're doing a live show october 14th it's already sold out um is it carnegie hall or something mm-hmm. like that carnegie hall already sold out but i think some more tickets might become available we're going to do a bunch of parties uh go to the game and you know, we're going to golf with like some old alumni and um, we're going to have a great time and we're going to pump up Pittsburgh. That's for sure. Man, you got 52,000 followers <laughs> on Twitter. That's a lot yeah. more than most hockey players who spent the bulk of their careers in Europe bouncing around. I mean, you, you this has been a highly, highly successful venture for you. Would you have ever thought that it would become that? No, it's wild. Like my, I had my Twitter. I, I basically started for when I was here in Sweden. I knew there was a lot of fans, and I, I mean, I had maybe twelve hundred people on there following me before this all started. When I, um, one one good story was when I I went down to Philly. It was kind of this kind of how it all did start with spitting chicklets. Whitney calls me just after I retired. He's like, "We want you to come down to an interview in Philly, and then we'll go to the game that night." So, so this shows how how these little these guys knew too about gambling. So we, I come down there, I do the interview, our interview, we have a great time, a couple beers, and now we're off to the game. And everybody's like, all right, who we bet? And we got to bet. And I think Grinnell was like, I like Philly. RA's like, oh, I like Philly. And then Biz was like, no, Washington. Wit's like, no, Washington. So we're like, man, we don't know who's going to win this game. I said, hey, let's bet the draw. And these guys are like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, let's bet it, it goes to overtime. Mm-hmm. They're like, you can't bet that. I'm like, yeah, you can. I'm like, that's the only way they bet in Europe. European soccer, hockey, it's three-way, I call it, in regulation. They're like, what? So Grinelli looks on his account, and he sees it, and he's like, holy cow, it's plus 300. He's like, we got to do this. So we, we're all in the car and away to rank. We all end up betting it. And, you know, Biz is doing some video before the game, and he's like, oh, yeah, we're here, and now this idiot Murley over here has got me betting draw <laughs> plus 300. So we're all on it. And, you know, they post it to their account, and then immediately, you know, it blows up. And then, lo and behold, the game goes to overtime. So they got us videos of us celebrating, and, you know, I'm, I'm a genius. We all want a ton of money. So that's what kind of got me known as their gambling expert. And when that <laughs> job came up, I was, uh, you know, I get along with them. I played a little bit with Biz, and I played with Witt a long time. And uh, I know I'd be a good teammate, and that that's their main thing there is just be a good teammate with the crew and, you know, we have we have so much fun. We work hard, but we have some fun too, and it's been a dream job. Is that the play then, man? The draw is that uh, a toss-up game? Is that will that pay off more? You know, if you hit three out of twelve or so, are you going to end up making money for the nine that you don't hit? Yeah, it's if you look at the stats, you you won't end up winning. But it, it, it's those rare occasions where you're like that. You're like you can't decide, and you're just like ah. You know, like, what do I do? What do I do? I like them both. And, and with the draw, is fun because you're always in it. No matter who scores first, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, you're, now you're rooting for the other team. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then when it's, when it's tied, you're like, yes, good. Just don't do anything. And then, you know, you're, you're really never out of it unless it gets, like, 3 nothing. Then, you know, you're probably done. But uh, it's a really fun way to, to watch a game. And, and it was, that's what kind of really all started it way back. And, and after that night, you know, I went from, to get back to it, I went from maybe 1,500 followers to 3,000 just like that overnight with the, with the biz video. 
and as it goes, like at Biz and Barstool, they just they they do something. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I've been really fortunate to to jump jump on these guys' coattails. I wanted to ride Sydney's coattails <laughs> for the Stanley Cups, but I missed out on that. And now I'm jumping on these coattails. Man, Matt, these are great stories. I, I love the the whole stuff about traveling the world, all the stuff about sports betting. I can't thank you enough for sharing everything. Best of luck to you and your family. I know you have a, a little girl. Uh, best wishes to everybody. And I, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all this stuff, pal. Uh, I had no problem. I had a great time. Um, Pittsburgh brings back great memories. And like I said, I can't wait to get back there in October. It's going to be a great time. Great stuff, partner. Safe travels. Thanks, man. All right, thank you. Bye.